You're listening to The Good GP, the podcast for busy GPs. Hello and welcome to The Good GP. I'm Sean Stevens, and today we're discussing antiviral medications in the use of COVID. My guests are Kerry Fitzsimmons, who's the manager of the Medicines and Technology Unit within the Clinical Excellence Division of the WA Department of Health. She's a senior hospital pharmacist with 30 years background. I'm also interviewing Dr. Claire Italiano, who is Infectious Diseases Physician at Royal Perth Hospital. Welcome, Kerry and Claire. Thank you, Sean. Let's leap straight into it. So first of all, Claire, perhaps if I can throw to you, what COVID-19 treatments are available for mild to moderate illness? So we currently have three treatments available. Uh, One is an intravenous agent, citrovimab, which is a monoclonal antibody. And then we have two oral agents available, um, combination medicine, Paxlovid, which has a nematrovir in it, which is the active antiviral um, with a boosting agent, ritonavir. And then the third agent is molnupiravir. So two oral agents and one intravenous agent. Fantastic. So I guess the GPs will be mostly focusing on the oral agents. Okay, so what's the availability? Bearing in mind we're meeting now and talking on the 15th of March 2022, so this information is current as of today. Um, What's the availability and expected supply moving forward, Kerry? Thanks, Sean. These these medicines have been provided through the Commonwealth Government Department uh, as part of the National Medical Stockpile. There's allocations to each of the states and territories um, and this Quantity is usually at the Commonwealth's discretion, and with the each state and territory uh, has a different, slightly different way of managing the medicines. But the WA Chief Health Officer, under the Commonwealth Statutory Authority, is responsible for ensuring the national medical stockpile medicines are used appropriately. It, it is um, a, a challenging space because the uh, actual global supply of these medicines is or can be limited depending on the how the drug companies can provide them. So we have had to put in place a, an approval process to make sure that they're, they're used appropriately and that we, we use them for the, the most highly vulnerable populations in our state. So the GPs then, if they're going to be prescribing any of these medications, are responsible for completing the necessary paperwork as part of this national stockpile? That's correct. Uh, we have a, an approval form for each of the medicines but uh, the Monpirinavir, the um, Paxlovid and the Citrovimab, uh, even though, as Claire alluded to, the um, Monpirinavir is now available through the PBS listing, but if, if it's required through Commonwealth supply through the national stockpile, uh, we have a, a special form that needs to be filled in to request approval. So Claire, if I can ask you, what's the role of the GP in assessing patients and prescribing these treatments or arranging infusions? So the GP role really is quite crucial because all these three medicines are intended as early treatment um, with the intention that they'll prevent or minimise the chances of progressing to severe disease and hospitalisation. So it's really in that community setting where we want to be getting in early um, with these treatments. So for a symptomatic patient, so people are only eligible if they're symptomatic within five days of symptom onset, then these um, medications are available. Um, For the GP, the other factor in assessing patients is they're not required for everyone, so therefore what we call an at-risk group of people. Um, 
the actual at-risk group of people is evolving a bit because the early studies were only done in an unvaccinated group of people. And obviously now, fortunately, in Australia, we have a highly vaccinated population who may not be at risk as much as they were when they're unvaccinated. Um, and then there's also a whole group of medical comorbidities to consider um, when assessing a patient. So for the GP, if they're aware of their patient having COVID, uh, the factors to consider in terms of whether they should have treatment or whether they're symptomatic, if they're in their first five days of um, symptoms, and whether they're within a group of people that we term at risk, and that may be due to either immunosuppression or comorbidities such as diabetes and heart disease. So then it becomes quite critical then, doesn't it, that the, the GP identifies these people and, and gets straight onto it. And I guess we need to know a little bit about the indications and contraindications of these medicines to, to work out um, who are the people we need to be targeting. Claire, could you give us a bit more background on, on what are the contraindications and more importantly, what are the indications for these medicines? Yeah. So even though the citrovimab is given at healthcare sites and patients would need to be referred on for that, um, GPs still need to be aware of the availability of that. Obviously, the oral agents are going to be the ones that can be used a bit more easily in the community practice. So I'll, I'll start with the um, where we do use the Paxlovid. So in people who are at high risk, um, we consider the Paxlovid to be superior to molnupiravir in its efficacy. When considering if someone can have Paxlovid, there's a group of patients who can't have it. This includes pregnant ladies, uh, people with an EGFR of less than 30, and there's also some significant drug interactions that can occur with Paxlovid. So if it's found that a patient's already on a medication, such as um, amiodarone, where it's a complete contraindication, then Paxlovid won't be appropriate. Okay. Are there any options to cease some of these medications? Because a lot of the time, you know, people can go off things like amiodarone for a brief period. Is that something that we should be considering? Yeah. So I guess for some other commonly used medications like the statins, that's, a, that's one that will pop up if you look at the drug interactions as to consider withholding for the duration of treatment and for three days after. Um, you know, there's some that are complete contraindications such as amiodarone because of, because of its long half-life. Um, there's a number of other medications such as amlodipine where the recommendation will be just to, to monitor. So if for your patient the Paxlovid is really looking like the best option for them, um, then there can be some little tweaks for certain medications that um, can be performed to enable your patient to have the Paxlovid. Mm, okay, thanks. And you've mentioned some of the indications, you know, immune suppression, diabetes, etc. What are the common groups that we're going to see in general practice that we really should be um, focusing on that, that are A, common and B, likely to have the greatest benefit? Yeah. So in the unvaccinated population, um, then it's age that um, will confer risk, um, plus comorbidities such as diabetes, cardiovascular disease. Um, so an older person with comorbidities such as that who is unvaccinated, then um, they would benefit from these treatments. We're seeing, I guess, most of the people we're seeing that may benefit from it are those that are partially vaccinated or not up to date. And we have extrapolated the, the evidence, um, but people that we do consider at risk when they're partially or 
partially vaccinated or not up to date, the common groups that we're seeing and managing, firstly with citrovimab, it's pregnant ladies in the second and third trimester, some of the more severely immunocompromised people, people with blood malignancies or um, organ transplants mm-hmm. uh, are receiving either Paxlovid or citrovimab. Um, and then I think really in the GP sphere, it will be those patients who aren't up to date with their vaccination, often older, with one or two comorbidities such as a diabetes, uh, degree of immunosuppression, heart disease or obesity are probably the commonest groups that you'll be assessing these medications for. So bearing in mind we're talking to a national audience here and there may be individual variations between states, how can these prescriptions and infusions um, typically be arranged by the GP? So I'll give you the example of how things are operating in WA and they are they would be very similar throughout um, the country. So if someone's being considered for citrovimab, then there needs to be a referral in WA, it's to the tertiary health service providers. Uh, and then if someone is eligible, we'd arrange the practicalities of getting the patient in for the infusion. So currently, citrovimab does need to be given at a healthcare site and the referral will be in most cases through uh, either a tertiary hospital or the nearest healthcare site that will be delivering it. For Paxlovid, um, as that's not on PBS and it's still from the National Medical Stockpile, in WA the referral process is still through the um, health service providers where we're sort of acting as a proxy for the chief health officer to give approval for the medication. And we are assisting with the practicalities of delivering that medication to the person which can be at home like our our pharmacy here at Royal Perth is delivering it to the the person at home. For molnupiravir that that is on the PBS now and I think pharmacies are increasingly stocking that obviously you know it's only been on the PBS since the 1st of March so uh, you know that marrying up between having it on the PBS and actual practical availability has taken a little bit of time but I think that's starting to occur now so hopefully GPs will be you know soon aware of you know which local pharmacies actually actually have it. Yeah I have heard there's um, some issues with holding stock because it is quite an expensive medication for for pharmacies to get in so yeah that is going to be a very local uh, locally arranged um, situation. So if we look now uh, at information and advice Kerry do you know where GPs can get information um, when they have a patient in front of them because, you know, it's great to get all this information, but what I find is you get a patient in front of you and going, oh, well, what is the latest? Where should I look? Uh, and often knowing where to look is is the most important. Thanks, Sean. Yeah, there's, there's two main mechanisms that uh, GPs can access this information. Uh, we've been working closely with WAFA to uh, make sure that there's easily accessible information on health pathways. So that's probably the, the primary source of information and that has all the links and information um, required on, on that. And Kerry, is that going to be the same for each state? Their, their local primary health network um, will have access to health pathways with specific information? I can't answer that for other states. I can answer the, um, the second mechanism um, in the sense that WA Health have uh, an information website, COVID-19 information for health professionals, which contains a lot of information around managing COVID uh, under clinical guidance um, sections. There's also some information referred to specific medications. One thing that we have put together is what prescribers and pharmacists need to know around 
Paxlovid and Molnupiravir, which are useful resources. But the, the other states and territories also have a similar web page um, for their prescribers to access. So the WA Health site will have the information around the WA emergency COVID-19 treatment approval forms for each of these medicines. And it's important to note that only medical practitioners are allowed to complete these forms um, to be referred on to for approval. Okay, great. So look, this has been fascinating and obviously a rapidly evolving area. Um, Kerry, can you give us three take-home messages, please? I think the first thing is that the supply of these medicines is managed by the Commonwealth. And so we are under limited supply through all the states and territories. Uh, so we are restricting it to highly vulnerable patients that test positive to COVID and are required to be treated within five days of symptom onset. Secondly, that the WA emergency COVID-19 treatment approval forms are required for the Paxlovid and Citropamab before any treatment can be initiated and that we do encourage GPs to liaise with their community pharmacies. We've also been starting conversations with the um, community pharmacy and pharmacy peak bodies, such as the Pharmaceutical Society of Australia, to encourage the uptake of um, monoparinavir through the PBS uh, listing prescription process. Uh, and, and finally, uh, I think the importance around the oral antivirals is, is especially making sure that we screen our patients um, appropriately for contraindications and precautions, especially with Paxlovid, noting that it has a large number of drug interactions before any treatments are considered um, and, and the consent that's required with the patient as these medicines are quite early days in the actual published um, evidence that, that supports their use. So it is quite important to um, make sure that we've actually discussed it with the patient to let them know that, you know, these are quite new medicines and we need to sort of make sure that we're monitoring them. Just as final, sorry, I know this is four points, but um, the Commonwealth have also asked us, um, or each state and territory, to provide some reporting on the use of these medicines. And so um, the prescribers will be contacted by WA Health to provide an update on how the patient has proceeded with treatment. So if, if they've improved or if they've needed escalated care. Excellent. Okay, look, thank you very much. Kerry and Claire, thank you so much for your time. And uh, I'm sure this will be an ongoing conversation. I know you guys are really busy, so I do appreciate you taking the time and effort to, um, to present to our listeners. Thank you. Thank you.